0: Labeling legitimate news as fake news has become the scapegoat for a lot of politicians who have done something wrong. But actual fake news poses a serious threat to our democracy. So, how can we continue to hold government officials accountable while also being able to spot actual fake news? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Beyond Bias, the open minded perspective podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Craig Albert, associate professor of political science at Augusta University. Today, we are talking to Dr. David Bola, a longtime journalist. Chair of the Department of Communication at Augusta University, and author or co-author of several books, including Lincoln's Censor, Journalism in the Civil War Era, and Lincoln Mediated, The President and the Press Through 19th Century Media. That's an impressive resume. That's, I had to cut that down by like a 1,000%. <laughs> Welcome, Dr. Bola. Thank you, Craig, for having me on your podcast. Uh, we're going to get right into it and uh, try to have some conversation on fake news, uh, media literacy. Maybe we'll get into some propaganda or information warfare. That'll be awesome if we can get into it. So let's tackle one of the most important questions I think to American politics and society right now: How do we actually distinguish between fact versus fiction, or between fake news and real news? Or maybe you can even just tell us what we mean by fake news when we hear it in the in the media. Well, Craig, you know I think the thing that everybody needs to know
1: that's that's listening is what news actually is. It literally means new information, all right, which of course is very different from old information and preconceptions and opinions and agendas, etc. And journalists do something that laymen don't do, and that is we double check and triple check our facts. Um, And it's as simple as stuff like this. How do you spell a name? McDonald's. Oh, with an apostrophe. All right. Uh, How do you spell Chick-fil-A? Very carefully because you're in the South. Um, When did it happen? Well, it happened last night at 1115. For journalists, precision is the key. Second of all, everyone should check his or her own biases. We all have them. We're we're born with them. We're born with them just based on things like where we're born, the language we speak, the the region of the world we live in the country we live in, and our culture and everything else. Um, So I think it's very important that if you lean to one political direction or another, even if you're a moderate, start your consumption of the news, not with, say, the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, but start with the Associated Press, which, you know, you can download the app in 30 seconds. Or you can just Google it and Associated Press will come up. The AP doesn't have an editorial page. The AP is a co-op. That is, it is a cooperative of news organizations uh, that has its origins actually before the Civil War, which is my era. Um, And the reason they created it was there was a telegraph line running from New Orleans to New York, but that's where it ended. And the war was in Mexico. So they got information by boat to New Orleans, but then to get it all the way up to New York, they needed to actually use the tele- telegraph line, and they needed to share it. So that's where, I, that's where the AP starts. Third, fake news has existed for a long time, and that's what I really want to talk about right now. There's yeah. two examples from the 19th century, which is my area of expertise. These fake news stories were called the moon hoax and the gold hoax. Uh, the moon hoax um, probably is the more sensational of the two stories, and it was from an upstart Penny Press newspaper, the first Penny Press newspaper, Uh, the New York Sun and this happened in 1935 which also is about the same time the telegraph is being invented interestingly. The Sun ran a series of articles that stated not only was there life on the moon but there also were advanced civilizations and they had the like the drawings that you know to prove it. Wait, what year is this? Ninth, 1835. 1835, Eight, eighteen thirty-five. Eighteen thirty-five, and they're talking about life on the moon. Life. So <laughs> the sun reported that the information came from a very famous astronomer, John Herschel, whose father, William Herschel, really is one of the big names like up there with Copernicus, you know. He invented a, a telescope uh, late in the eighteenth century, early nineteenth century. Um, that's just huge and could just see things we even Galileo hadn't been able to see. Anyway, they said John Herschel told them this, uh, that he had reported it in a University of Edinburgh publication. No, totally false. And everybody knew it. The sun never recanted. The sun was just trying to drive up its circulation. The sun had this business model, kind of like Walmart. It it was like, all right, everybody was selling their newspapers for six cents. We're going to sell it for a penny. So they needed to build circulation. Well, it was cheaper, so less you know less rich people could buy it, but they also needed to have something to attract people, to attract a larger audience, so they used fake news, and this is a great example. And then about 30 years later, in 1864, we have the Gold Hoax, which took place during the Civil War. The war had bogged down. Atlanta, for example, there was kind of a, and it wasn't, sh- it wasn't, wasn't we weren't sure who was gonna win that battle. It, w- it took forever, the two, the two major generals on each side didn't want to fight. They included Sherman on the Union side. And then up in Virginia, Grant and Lee were, were really involved in an incredibly brutal, bloody, and uh, a quagmire of attack and maneuver. And, I mean, a lot of men died. And a, lot of, a lot of men were wounded on both sides, usually more on the Union side, actually, than the Confederate side. So a couple of Brooklyn newspaper men decided to take advantage of the situation. Joseph Howard was the editor of the Brooklyn Eagle. Uh, same paper that Walt Whitman worked for, and he purchased a bunch of gold on May 17th. And the following day, Howard and another colleague at the Brooklyn Eagle named Francis Mallison forged an Associated Press dispatch that stated President Lincoln was about to call up 400,000 more volunteers, all right? This is in the summer of of 1864. The dispatch went out really early in the morning, like 3.30. Well, most of the newspapers had already printed for the night. Everybody had gone home. But two papers decided to pick it up, the Journal of Commerce and the New York World, and both of these newspapers had large circulations, and they leaned Democratic, and they were generally actually pro-Confederate on their editorial pages. But the story was a total fabrication, and the two newspapers were just absolutely had by these two Brooklyn uh, Eagle uh, journalists. The next day, the AP issued a statement that the um, call for enlistee stories was false. The State Department also said it was false. And the two newspapers were not able to escape punishment because Lincoln was really upset, so was the Secretary of State, uh, Seward. So both newspapers were suspended, and the editors of the Journal of Commerce and the World were put in jail. All right. And meanwhile, the price of gold went up, the stock market went down, and Howard made a ton of money. Now, nobody knew that he had caused it yet. But when the the powers that be figured it
0: out, he would be thrown in jail and actually spend 3 months in jail again so is this a, the main point of fake news is it does it seem to be like money generating or in
1: this case it was clearly these were two journalists who took advantage of of the system the fact that the ap would send out stories you know at all hours of the night and nobody nobody working there could double check the stories went back to my original point and that's what happened What's interesting also is that after this occurred, New York was a democratic state, and the district attorney for New York decided to try not— they they would try the Brooklyn Eagle guys for for crimes, for other crimes, but they decided to to try Lincoln and the military people who had arrested the two editors um, for violating their civil rights. And the the judge ruled, yeah, they, you'd violated their rights, but there was no punishment. The military guys did not have to go to jail, and of course they didn't do anything to Lincoln. Anyway, what's interesting about the story, though, is in the fall, Lincoln calls up 500,000 men. So it turned out to be like 80% true, but not at the right time. I mean, it, it, you know, that, that happens later after Atlanta uh, yep. is defeated, and the war really does—I mean, if—, if if Atlanta had not happened, Lincoln probably wouldn't have been reelected.
0: Is there a difference between something like the National Enquirer as a as a news organization and what we mean in politics or uh, in, in contemporary society as fake news? Like, is that is that two well, different categories?
1: No, it's not. But the the difference is is that you know the, the National Enquirer is trying to entertain, whereas the New York Times, the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, the Augusta Chronicle, Atlanta Journal Constitution are trying to inform mainly. But they do persuade on the editorial page, and that's where you have carte blanche. We are in a libertarian society in terms of the interpretation that all opinions are equal. They don't. That, the problem with that is it dev- value some opinions. But let me also say this. I think it's very important that when we consume the news, we need to think about who's telling the story. All right, that's number one. Does that person, the journalist or or wh- whoever made the story, do they have a reason to get fake information out? Let me also say that opinion lies and conspiracy theories, because they've really become big lately, right. um, are much cheaper than unearthing facts. All right? The news media owners in the United States have really systematically distorted reporting, the reporting function of their newspapers. Let me just use the Chronicle as an example. I'm sort of uh, guessing here, but I've heard this from the editor of the paper. On 9-11, they had more than 100 people working in the newsroom. If we went over to Broad State, which is just a couple of blocks from here, and went into the newsroom now, there'll probably be nobody there. And by the night, when they actually start putting together the Mars paper, there'll probably be about a half dozen people there. So, And that happens that's happened everywhere except the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and a few other papers. LA Times has done pretty well. The AJC has lost a lot of people, but they still have pretty good reporting. But my point is is that the owners have systematically destroyed this reporting function, and we're paying a high price for it uh, because this allows for other things to take its place, mm-hmm. including social fake media, news. fake news, fake news, yeah, how, and conspiracy theories and, and all the rest.
0: I have so many questions that <laughs> yeah. just came up. That's all right. So how do we trust that something is actual news or facts versus it's somebody's opinion?
1: Well, I mean, I think that with a president, the difference is, is that when— uh, A president says something that doesn't have any factual basis, that's when your years have got to go up, you know? And and, and what I'm saying is we can't expect everything to be vetted before we get it now Mm -hmm. because things are coming from a lot of sources. Mostly for most of us, including people like you and I who have PhDs we're probably getting it first in social media. <laughs> and how often do we read something that a friend of ours somewhere in the country or in the world says is good stuff, and we, and we see their little contribution, a few words, and we see the headline, and we don't go any further. So there's another cons- consumer tip. Please read beyond the headline. All right. and, and typically, we know in journalism research that most people look at the picture that's associated with the, with the story, the headline, and they read the first paragraph, and then they might read the quotes because quotes are easy to see. You really need to think about where the source is coming from. And if you bring it back to just ordinary things that happen in a community, then you've got to go, like if it's an accident or a crime that happens in Augusta, who's investigating that? The police. So let's go see what the police report says. And that's what a good journalist would do. And the, and the, and you would interview a police person and you would double check your facts as opposed to just hey, I saw something, I'm going to put it up on Instagram, I'm going to put it up on Twitter or Facebook. And you only know part of the story. You haven't talked to all the important people in the story.
0: If we know the president and the, the uh, spokesperson for the president and that entire office is supposed to be spinning, why did President Trump take so much heat for giving fake news. And I, I remember all of his press secretaries, you know, being accused of this. I mean, if that's their job, why was it so heated that that's what they were doing? If if most of them that are presidents and press secretaries do this, if they're known to—that's their job is to spend something in a, in a Pro- sophisticated way. Uh, Probably because he kept calling the press the enemy of the people. That
1: doesn't—you know, you need to build some rapport.
0: So there was a—, a an adversarial relationship yeah. more than usual between president Trump and the press. Right, It's built in.
1: I mean, okay. uh, if you're a political leader or if you're a very important person in society, like a celebrity, you know, you're going to get covered and he's been covered all his life. I mean, he's a very you know, powerful businessman.
0: But is there a general thing that we can do just as, as you know, citizens. we're not going to go in. I mean, most people don't have the time to go and fact well, check everybody. So is there, you know, if the president says something right. and we're supposed to, you know, with some uh, level of trust, trust, yeah. The, the general information of the government, you know, we can't go and investigate everything. No, you can't. And I think that that's a really good point.
1: Uh, and, and and there's a question in there, too. And I think we have to be skeptical as consumers. I'm not talking as a journalism person or a journalism professor now. I'm talking as a citizen. We have to be—and uh, a citizen not only of the United States, but also of Georgia and the world, for that matter— um, We have to be skeptical about any information we see, and that's why I say, you know, who wrote it and where is it coming from? I think consumers need to consume what they want to consume, but they also have to realize that what they're consuming may not be necessarily the best picture of what's going on. Does that make sense? Yes,
0: perfect. That clears it up. So generally, this is something I didn't think about. You can tell if a newspaper is biased based on the uh, editorials they run? Well, I wouldn't say that the reporters themselves necessarily are biased, but everybody has some,
1: like I said, everybody has some sort of bias built in just because of who we are and where we are and when we are uh, living. Um, But the editorial page certainly has an effect, I think, because... You know, um, just use The Times for example. The Times leans to be more moderate the liberal in their approach. They're very, you know, they're not that way on everything, though. I mean, they're really pro-Israel, and that's because of who the owners are mm. and, and and so on and so forth. But you need to know that. I mean, if you were a Palestinian reading The New York Times, you would, you know, you would think The New York Times was uh, the, the, the publication of the coup party, maybe, you know, on, on, the, on the editorial page. And I have to explain to conservative friends all the time, I'm like the New York Times, you know, you think it stinks because of its opinion. And I'm like, but I can tell you having lived around the world, it's one of the two or three best news organizations in the world.
0: Is it fair to say that I mean, okay, so the New York Times might lean left in the editorials, but when it's coming to its, you know, front page reporting, mm-hmm. is that also slanted? Or no, does not, no th- not not much. Okay. But remember who's
1: paying the bills I mean some there, there is a wall and the wall is as Debbie Manto my my colleague would tell you is is invisible between the editorial side and say the advertising side or the ownership side but you, you can't say that it's completely you know invisible I mean give the example of the post back in in Nixon's time when Watergate happened you know Kay Graham, the the editor and it fell or publisher it fell into her lap because her husband died. You know, she did not necessarily see eye to eye with Richard Nixon. And and it was reciprocal. And that has, you know, that's personal. So that kind of, you know, that I can see. come into play. And once the Watergate story got going, you know, there was nobody else in the post saying, hey, you know, let's let's think about, you know, another way of looking at this, because they were in competition at that point. But for a while, nobody, and then the Times got involved and eventually CBS, then they're all competing with each other. And that's another aspect of it is when you get a story going, like the pandemic. I mean, everybody wants to cover it the best, right? And so that competition creates certain sort of professional, sometimes miscues.
0: The entertainment news cable, like Fox and CNN? Can we really say that one's left and one's right? Or how do you know that? We have moved more back toward what we had in the Civil War, which is a more partisan
1: media, news media ecosystem. And that means that, you know, you're looking for a niche to sell advertising to and to build audience. I mean, none of these cable networks is making a whole lot of money. They don't even have very large audiences. I mean, we're talking... I think Fox has the most right now, and it's only several million. Cronkite, at the height of his powers, had sixty million. None of these have
0: sixty million. None of
1: these have anywhere close to that. But Uh remember, then it was really him, and then Huntley and Brinkley on NBC, and nobody even knew about what ABC was doing because nobody watched them. You know. So the and also what's changed now is you've got that cable. Who's watching it? My mom, who's eighty-seven, but I don't. I'm sixty-one. I don't watch it. My children don't watch it. My wife, who's a little younger than me, she doesn't watch it. Who's watching it? And uh-huh. it's mainly old people. And, yeah, I get my and, news from
0: Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, I'm,
1: I'm getting mine off my phone. You know, yeah. you know, I, I I I I've subscribed to some newspapers, including the Chronicle, and you know, they hit me up, well, what's going on? They have decided to sort of put themselves, those three networks, in, including MSNBC, as being political, and I think MSNBC leans very, especially at night, with Rachel Maddow, reads pretty far to the left. Stanford-educated, but very very much, I think, she would she would say herself she's to the left. And then, you know, Anderson Cooper's a New York guy. He's almost, you know, he's kind of down the middle more, in my opinion. And then uh, Fox, definitely more to the right, but not, not always as far to the right as those people on the left think it is, right? It's, it's almost in this... The thing is, what's interesting now is Fox is, main, is as mainstream as anybody. All of these are mainstream. But the, But the truth of the matter is... They really don't, I hate to say this because I'm a journalist, they really don't matter anymore, almost. Mm. Almost. Not completely. You can't say they don't matter at all. But, but what matters is on social media.
0: Let's talk about social media. Like, what is it news?
1: Can we trust it? I, th- I think the thing about social media is it's an echo chamber. Who, who are we, it's like, who are we friends with? And we tend to be friends with people who are like us. I mean, most of the people who follow me on, let's just say Facebook, are former students, and I mean they may not think exactly like me, but they certainly you know we've had some time together to to, to think about at least think about the same things, right? Right. Like like media literacy, uh, and journalism, and PR, and advertising. Um, and then it's you know a lot of my friends are other professors and journalism educators and you know PR educators around the world. Well, we're we're sort of in a narrow you know little part of of, of, of the spectrum when it comes to academia. For example, uh, and I'm a historian, so you know I'm paying attention, especially to Civil War stuff, mm. but also with my interest in uh, Winston Churchill things in the, in the late 19th and, and first half of the 20th century. So that's who we are, and of course, the friends and family and things like that. But you know, we 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 create an echo chamber, and so what happens is we see that headline and we go, yeah, that, that sounds like something we would agree with, and we hit. Like, like or, you know, yeah. and, and you know, it's uh, who really pays attention to that? I don't know, but it's there, right? And somehow or another, the uh, algorithms considering it, right? And so we all we all get tribalized, I think, mm. and I think that's probably really the the biggest change in all of this in terms of me, the media literacy, uh, other than the technology, and we'll probably get to that later. Is that there's so much out there, and and. And especially Facebook and Google have these algorithms that are leading us in certain directions, and they naturally sort of create tensions in society that may have already been there, but they're getting exacerbated. And I think one of the things that the previous president did is he probably accentuated some of that. You know, he sort of pushed it. Um, which was part of a communication strategy I think I mean I'm not totally sure it was his but I think people
0: who were you know who were working for him but do the news organizations do this themselves because you always hear oh Fox News the New York Times they just want to make money so they're gonna well, push a certain like tense agenda in order to to accumulate dollars or to accumulate ads by certain groups to accumulate dollars to the organizations probably I'm not I'm not enough of a
1: Journalism, business person to know that, but they cer- certainly in journalism in the United States, if it bleeds, it leads. That gets in the agenda, especially on a local level, and you can switch that from if it bleeds, it leads. Like if it bleeds, like the Como thing going on now, right? You know, where he's had this problem with women in the past. That's that's bleeding, and and you know it's at the top right now of the agenda. I would say in in the New York Times, and you know probably on. on I haven't looked closely enough. I looked at the Times this morning, but I haven't looked at, you know, say CNN or Fox or MSNBC or or the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, but I bet it's all in there,
0: right? What's that say about society that that's what sells is like tragic stories or, or you know, well, maybe it's a question on the human well, condition. Well, that
1: goes back to the Greeks, I think, with... You know, tragedy. <laughs> you know, we we we, we want to look at. We spend a lot of we spend a lot of time on people like Trump, right, or Kim Kardashian, or Tiger Woods. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Tiger Woods story is a great thing to think about because on the one hand, there's this benefit of the doubt, mm. you know, given to him, especially in Augusta, because he's won five Masters <laughs> right. and, and we love him here. But on the other hand, he has some things in his past and. You know, now they've impounded his, you know, his car and they're looking at, I didn't even know cars had black boxes, but it has black boxes. I didn't box, either, yeah. You know, and to see if he was in fact speeding, they say he didn't have, he wasn't intoxicated or anything like that. But I mean, you know, none of this, if, if you, if one of the three of us did that, nobody would care, right? I mean, he's this incredibly, not only wealthy person, but incredibly talented and means a lot to our culture. And, and so that we're interested in that. I just think that's kind of, I don't want to say natural, because we make these things. These are man-made um, tropes, but um, we certainly are interested in these powerful people. I'm not as interested in, say, Kim Kardashian as a lot of people seem to be, but the media companies, like I'm, you know, I got a Yahoo account still, and Yahoo literally has her at the top every day. You know, and it used to be I don't know when she was alive, Whitney Houston or or Michael Jackson or whoever, and we just go through this. You know, LeBron James maybe is a good example now. In the rest of the world, it's messy or Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, the soccer— I mean, you wouldn't believe how many followers they have on, on social media. And they don't even—they're not even doing it themselves. I don't, And I'm still not convinced Trump was doing all that that tweeting. I think does, somebody was doing it for him, but I don't know that
0: for a fact. That's an interesting <laughs> question. We'll get to— Because uh, who asked time right, for Right. No, no, I would love uh, to you and I talk about that. How do we—so does, does the news tell us what's important, or do we tell the news what's important? Well, that brings me back to—you had asked me about agenda
1: setting uh, before we talked— Agenda setting this theory from Maxwell McCombs and Donald Shaw, they're still alive. They came up with this idea that, and they proved it because they did survey research in the 1968 election between Humphrey and Nixon, that what happens is, is in fact, the news media does lead us. And what, this is how it happens. They can tell us what to think about, the topics, and who, you know, and even what, like the, like the virus, COVID-19, better than they can tell us how to think about it. And, and and that's what's sort of wrong here. I think we think the spin is everything and the conspiracy theory and the fake news, but it really is just what we're thinking about. And what we're thinking about in the U.S. is probably not the same thing that they're thinking about in Canada or the U.K. or Germany or Russia or India or China or, or Japan or wherever else. And it also depends on where you live. It's a lot different in Augusta than it probably is in Atlanta, right? I mean, we probably intuit that. So... The truth of the matter is that gives the media, news media, I'm talking about now, enormous power, because they're telling us what to think about. What are we thinking about right now? We're thinking about Cuomo, and I really don't care, to be honest. I mean, I'm I don't <laughs> want him to do what he allegedly has done to women, but he's the governor of New York, it's a long ways away. I'm more concerned about Mr. Kemp, you know, because sure. he's our governor and the mayor of, of of Augusta. Those are the people we need to be thinking about. And we're thinking about, yeah, we've been thinking about Tiger Woods, although that starting to, 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 you know, it's starting to slide off. Um, we're thinking about here comes spring, the nice weather, finally getting away from a fairly cold winter. Um, and we can go through it. And, and what they found was is that people usually could keep five, six, seven things in their mind. In fact, it's directly related in, in terms of the research to how many, why our um, telephone numbers are seven digits. Uh, we've added the three for the area code for 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 the phones we have now, the smartphones. But originally, it was just seven digits. Mm-hmm. You had your area code. You never had to put it in. That's all we can keep in our in our minds. And so we're thinking about whatever we're thinking about at that time. And you can go in a newspaper in your town or a national newspaper, and you can look and see what we're thinking about. And I guarantee you, more time, more often than not, whatever you're thinking about is going to match up what was in the newspaper or telecast or now. Social media. media. I mean, like, you yeah. know, if you got an iPhone, that Apple thing, you hit that in and boom, it comes up. It's the, you know, it's the first five or six stories. That's, and that's what we remember. And we don't go much beyond that because you said it earlier, who has time? Yeah. You know, the journalists are digging out a lot of facts and we're trying to convince people, the facts, you know, convince people that this is good information but who has time for it? And we live these incredibly frenetic lives now. And these things make us, our attention spans, I don't know what they are now. Just a few seconds. Yeah, I read, <laughs> read seven seconds. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, so it's a very interesting thing, but there's no doubt the media, are very news media are very powerful that way because they help us pick. Now, are they the only ones that help us pick the topics? Absolutely not. The president certainly has a role in that. And any powerful person like Bill Gates You know, anytime he says anything, it gets covered, right? Um, Even though he's retired. Uh, But uh, powerful people like Bezos, who owns Amazon. He also owns the Washington Post, interestingly enough. But anything he says, or Musk, Elon Musk. My God, this guy's doing things that no one ever dreamed of, right? And he's privatized it, too. It's not the government that's going to take us to the moon. I saw a thing in the paper today about a hotel, you know, a space Hotel? Yeah, the Space Hotel. 2027. That's I mean, a, wow. where do I sign up? Well, I don't <laughs> quite have a big enough bank account. But, but you know, that's that's who we are. We get it from them, and then we also get it from us. Some things do come from, you know, uh, from down to top, okay. I mean, from bottom to top, because there's some things we're interested in. Like, I think, I think, like, there's a cultural thing in every place. Like, Augusta has a cultural thing. People in Augusta were a little slow. We're a little nice, maybe too nice sometimes. But we somehow or another get along. Like, remember the protests last summer, the Black Lives Matter protests here? They were really peaceful. They were really calm. There was nothing violent about them. And the cops and the protesters got along pretty well. Yeah, they and were out together on they the were same out side. Together. And, yeah. then went, and then if you went to Atlanta, completely different was, story. Was, you know, and, and, and crazy stuff going on and, so how and do stuff we... that was hard to control. And, you know, so every place has its thing.
0: Thinking as professors now, how do we tell students to pay attention to more than what's just on social media or more than just the news? Because if the news is agenda setting, that means there's a whole other area of life or, you know, whole other elements of society that we aren't focusing on. Well, think about this.
1: The pandemic has been the story now for exactly a year. I mean, really, we're about a week away from when we, when when I'm saying we, Augusta University, shut down down, and went, I mean... Literally shut down. We didn't have classes for a while, right? right? Uh, and then we came back in a sort of semi-virtual way, uh, and we're still there, basically. Uh, maybe maybe some hybrid, some virtual, but we're there's not much face to face because we don't have the social distancing. <laughs> the, the buildings have to be bigger, and we we just can't afford to do that, you know. But is that the only thing that's been going on? Just in medicine? Yeah. Did the opioid crisis quit? No. Mm. 750,000 people in the United States have died since 1999 because of this. We're talking the same number of people who died in the Civil War. Now, it's a different context because we're a much bigger country. That's still a lot of people. We all probably know somebody. That's just unbelievable. And then what about cancer? It didn't go away, or strokes or heart attacks. There's still huge problems. But the pandemic is right here. It's immediate, and you know it has caused some political questions and— and the vaccine's another thing. I mean, the vaccine's coming. In fact, we're probably going to get it, I think they said yesterday, maybe by the end of the month, and and teachers are starting to get it now. But there's still a lot of things going on. And and just go to cancer. The
0: vaping stuff. Yeah. That you know, hasn't who, been in the news forever now. Yeah,
1: And, and yet, who, who who are they after in terms of the, va- the people who sell the vaping? They're after your children and my children. And, and the young people, and that's the last, you know, you're talking about questions. They're the ones who should be asking the question, oh, should I really be doing that? Thank God we have a, we in COM work with the Georgia uh, Science Center, to do PSAs that, are, that that teach people not to, especially young people, not to say yes to this stuff. But all this stuff's still going on. And we. So and, how do you tell your we, student? How and, do we, you? and we put it all out of the agenda. Yeah. And, I, and I think this is where teachers and professors but also parents are really important. Let's not forget there are other things happening besides mm. this. You know, I mean, I, I can't even imagine what it was like to live through World War II. But you know, to have that every day for five years and no, not know what you know what's uh. going to happen in, in the long run. So this is
0: nothing new. This has this been is nothing new. I see.
1: But I, but I think that that's where we have to say, uh, and especially you're talking about liberal arts and humanities and, and social sciences where we come in. Let's think about some other things. Let's ask some other questions. You know, maybe I can't do anything about getting you a vaccine, but can, there's something else can I do. Can I, you know, can, I, can we go figure out what's, you know, what's the best diet to have to <laughs> live a long life? You know, and you're a runner. Should, you know, how much exercise should I be doing? Hey, look at these phones. They can tell you how many steps you take every day. That's a good indicator of where you, your health is. And uh, that, I think that's the, the irony of all this for me. The smartphone, which I think we haven't mentioned, the smartphone is the greatest invention ever for journalists. Mm. It gives us the ability to capture so much. The phone is a camera, so it can capture the way a camera does. It can then you can turn it on and make it a videography tool, and then you can use it for audio, right? And then you can uh, you know you can write on it, and you can do email on it, and you can text on it, and I'm just you know beginning to start here the greatest tool journalists ever. If I had that tool in 1976 when I started my journalism career, I would have had a Pulitzer Prize by 1980. I mean, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's just incredible what it can do. And and yet, at the same time, we don't really take advantage of it in the best possible way.
0: What about citizen journalism? Is that what that's called? Uh, Is that news? Is that, can we trust that or how do you? Well, I think, I think, is it I good we, for the industry? I, I think it I think it actually
1: is. Well, let me give you an example. When Virginia Tech happened, when the shooting, the massacre happened at Virginia Tech, and this was what now, 13, 14 years ago, the best evidence we have of what happened, because of the way it happened, where the guy was going down the hallways of this, of this, I think it was a science building on the Virginia Tech campus and just shooting everybody. Was the fact that some people turned on their cell phones and they turned on their cameras, mm-hmm. which also got the sound, so the police were able to reconstruct sort of what happened. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something: the Black Lives Matter thing last summer, that when it took off, it started with the murder in 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 of, of Floyd up in Minneapolis, but it really was this kid down here in Georgia, who you know, it turned out the guys who killed him, you know, had made a video of it. That got them, and that got the whole thing going. And then with Floyd, with the the policeman, you know, put, putting his knee on his neck for nine minutes, somebody came out and started shooting it. And that is citizen journalism. Yeah. Now it's also helping the cops too, the police too. I mean, they're they're that helps them build the case because they got real evidence of what's going on. This is just an unbelievable transformation. For knowledge. So I'm trying to get away from journalism here and think of it just more in terms of knowledge and information and new information. Now, that doesn't mean that the person who's shooting it understands everything that's going on. And that's where I think you have to have police to investigate and journalists, too, to figure out what actually happened, the context. Those are the context of everything. But it's a tool that can really help us understand things. Um, And there's nothing like it ever before. Because in the past, you would have had to hire people,
0: you know, we got cameras get that going right to, to be out there. Might, to, not they that had, might not have been live at that time. It might not have
1: been live. Like a Virginia Tech, by the time the, the television people got there, it was too late. It was all over.
0: Can you give some advice based on your studies to the, the average citizen of, of media literacy, how to consume or how to partake or sift? Well, go back to what I said earlier.
1: Read beyond the headline. I make myself read the Chronicle on Saturday morning, start to finish. Because during the week, I don't have time. And then we get the New York Times on Sunday and I and I, my mother and I try to, but it's not, New York Times almost impossible to read from start to finish. But try to read things w- with more depth. But also, again, be a consumer. Think about who wrote that. Mm. Where did it come from? What are their biases? You know, I am skeptical when I read, read a story from the New York Times say that it's set in Palestine. I mean, I'm not sure that's the best way. Maybe I need to go to the BBC. And think about the fact that you have The ability to look at other sources now like never before you know so I say start with the AP always get that app on your phone or at least you know uh, you know put it put it in your uh, uh, put it on your laptop uh, and so you can quickly go to it Um, and then it's okay to read your favorite paper and I don't even care if it's a political paper because I mean yes the editorial pages of of, of papers have biases so if if you're more a business-oriented person by all means, go after the Wall Street Journal. They have great deals, by the way, for their <laughs> online edition. I really, especially for students, give yourself an opportunity to know more. And then I think one other thing, and I say this as somebody who's lived in another part of the world, do get, do make yourself absorb and consume other uh, nations' media. I do recommend the BBC. Yes, they have a British; they're, they're sort of owned by the British government. It's not quite that way. I say the same thing about the CBC. It's good to get a Canadian perspective on the world and on the, even on the U.S. Uh, in any part of the world you're interested, we have students, you know, who are interested in speaking Spanish and Arabic and French and German and so on and so forth. Find a newspaper. And, of course, you've got to try to find one that's in English unless you are fluent, you know. But try to find a, a newspaper or a, a, a website uh, that... Um, they can give you information about what's going on in other parts of the world. And that's a big thing we don't have here in the United States. We're, we're very self-absorbed. We don't realize we're part of a bigger world. Uh, yeah, we're the biggest country in terms of, you know, overall power and everything, but we're not the only one out there. And and you know it well in the in the information wars. You know, there are countries who are, when it comes to information, who are, very different about how they uh, how information gets to the society, whether it's Russia, China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, China especially, because they're really the most important. And I didn't say this, but this would be another good show, is how important this information wars is to all this. Because it's on top of it almost. It's always there, and it's—
0: We'll have to have you back for that one. (laughs) And and
1: the consumer may not realize it, but it impacts— everything we do. You, uh, we, we, we mentioned stories that aren't being told. Remember, and I know you know this, remember we had the breach and how powerful it was, but that's gone to the back burner. It's yeah, not the agenda. Not yet. there. And that's just, you know, how can that be? Cause that, <sighs> what problems it's going to cause for a long period of time and what it, you know, what it says about, our internal stability. So many questions I have, but we gotta <laughs>
0: wrap it. Up. Thank you so much, Doctor Bulla. Is there a way for listeners to follow with you or keep up with you? Do you are, are you comfortable giving away any of oh, your yeah. social
1: media stuff? Uh, it, it, for Twitter, it's D underscore Bulla B U L L A. And uh, I'll put this in the show notes yeah. too, so they can they'll of have the, the link to Of course, the at sign it. at the beginning, and um, uh, you know if you want to. If you're on Facebook, you can just uh, look me up, and I'll and, and ask for a friend request, and I can do it. I'm not that much on Instagram. I have an account, but I don't. I barely post on it. I don't know how to do it.
0: Folks, <laughs> we'll put all his information on our show notes that he wants to get out. Uh, we are at Beyond Bias Podcast. That is Beyond Underscore Bias Underscore Podcast on the gram. Our YouTube channel is Beyond Bias Podcast Channel. Feel free to email us, show uh, suggestions, comments, questions, Beyond Bias Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, follow your host. That's me, Dr. Craig Albert on all the typical platforms. That's at Dr. Craig D. Albert. Uh, and I would be remiss if I didn't take a minute. To say if you're interested interested in information warfare check out the show notes where i'll post a link to applications for augusta university's intelligence and security studies where we have a brand new concentration on social influence and propaganda so i had to throw that in there shameless plug why not i'm the host of the podcast uh and as always we end with a quote from alexis de tocqueville the eminent social and political philosopher quote men will not accept truth at the hands of their enemies and truth is seldom offered to them by their friends. Meridate on that, folks. I think it ties in perfectly to what we've been talking about. I'm your host, Dr. Craig Albert. Thank you, Dr. Buller, for, for this interesting show. And uh, sign off. Any any uh, last sign off? Uh, thank
1: you. To the Tocqueville something, someone that everybody that we teach should study. So
0: I'm glad you uh, quoted awesome. him. All right, everybody. Be nice to someone today and know that you are loved.